Hi, this is Maggie Rose, and you're listening to Salute the Songbird on Osiris Media. I started this podcast to showcase women in music who inspire me and who I want folks everywhere to know about. My guests are icons in contemporary music, independent artists, studio musicians, hit songwriters, and power players behind the scenes. All of them challenging the status quo, respecting the hustle, and leading the way for women following in their footsteps. Salute the Songbird is a platform for women in music to share their stories and let their voices be heard. And everyone has a seat at the table. Welcome. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's episode of Salute the Songbird. And once again, thank you so much for all your positive feedback and encouragement. It's been a delight to put the show together. And it's been even more fun to have you all become a part of it. So let's keep it going. This week we're talking to Chrissy Metz, who is a star from the TV show This Is Us. And she's also a recording artist at Universal Records. I had the privilege of writing with her before the pandemic started. And she is simply radiant. We wrote a beautiful song together and then we went out and got tacos and margaritas so I got to know her as a person. And she's just positive and funny and goofy and I think we'll see that today when we talk to her. But I also was able to read her memoir, This Is Me, and she's lived some serious life experiences. But I think she chooses positivity. She's realized all the dreams that she's laid out for herself, like becoming an actress and now becoming a recording artist and embarking on the journey of making her first full-length album. So get ready to be inspired. Here's my friend Chrissy Metz. Chrissy, thank you so much for doing this. Nice to see you. Normally I have a cocktail during Oh, really? but I thought it was a little early. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I feel like in Nashville, people start drinking at 8 a.m. Yeah. You know, yeah. this the way the world's going right now. And that too. Anything like, goes. Yeah. You should do whatever the hell you want at this point. You're just literal sunshine. I mean, oh, thank I you. have had so much fun kind of digging into your story and you're someone I so admire and so welcome to salute the songbird we salute you you are like Socrates I've been reading your book (laughs) this is me that's hilarious you are so wise and First of all, everyone needs to read this book. And I, I started our conversation by saying you're literal sunshine, but it was not always that way for you. You know, it's just amazing how you are someone who puts so much light and love out into the world, yet you were not always shown that growing up. Yeah. And I feel that like that's a choice that you made. Well, you grew up in Japan on a naval base. And yeah, how was that? I mean, honestly, I was the youngest of three, and there are the coolest toys and the most interesting, (laughs) awesome, like, it was super fun and different and such a wild, amazing experience that I can't wait to go back as an adult when whenever that happens. Before I didn't have money and now we can't travel, but that's beside the point. And so, yeah, it was really wonderful and I really value those, those years because they were, I mean, I was learning Japanese as I was learning English. I don't know any of it now. I mean, maybe five or six words, which is a shame, but it was tricky. You know, while my parents divorced, 
while my mom remarried from youngest child to the middle child while going through puberty. It was intense. And I was so afraid to even A, write a book because I'm like, what the heck do I have to say? And then I'm Mm -hmm. like, oh, well, everybody deserves to be heard and everybody deserves to feel less alone by hopefully me telling my story. And so many people came out and reached out and said, oh my gosh, I had this experience and I feel so much less alone. So in hindsight, it was wonderful, but it's very scary. I was just going to ask your stepfather, Trigger, is someone who you've made peace with, but he was abusive to you, both Mm -hmm. physically and emotionally. And he writes you a letter that Mm -hmm. you still have, Mm -hmm. just talking about how brave you are and how you did things beyond his wildest imagination and dreams that he could have never conjured up. Yeah, And that's what I think when I think of you and how you live your life, but also how you share it with so many people is the bravery Mm. that that takes. And that's what I, my favorite artists, be it an actor or a musician are people who are willing to go there because that is what makes people listening and watching not feel alone. Right. And I have to say, thank you for bringing that up because unfortunately when the book came out, a lot of people who knew uh, Trigger and, you know, being from a smaller town, mm. um, he felt and his family felt like I ran his name through the dirt. And mm-hmm. I'm like, if you read the whole chapter, you'll see that, like, not only is there so much forgiveness and redemption, but also that, you know, hurt people hurt people. And right. I don't hold that against him. And so there are so many lessons to have learned just in that chapter that I felt really important to share it. And so it's just unfortunate that you know, those people didn't really read what was really happening. And they just thought that I was, you know, accusing him of doing something that he never did. And, you know, as they always say, as we all know, holding on to resentment is like drinking poison Mm -hmm. and hoping the other person gets sick. And so if for that, if anything, it's about forgiveness and not holding on to resentments because it doesn't serve you. So thank you for bringing that part of the story up. It just shows your depth and how you know you fully process this situation it's not easy i'm not saying it's easy all at all but it's necessary i think for progression so you were in japan with your biological father mark and your mom they had gone through a divorce and your mom took you and your siblings back to gainesville florida then you were all of a sudden in the south and yeah. trying to figure out your life with a bit of a broken home situation. Yeah. That's where Trigger came into the picture. You said you were a latchkey kid in second grade. So your siblings were older working and you were having to come home from school before everyone else got home from work and let yourself in. So, I mean, you're just someone who kind of was able to just do it. And you describe your mom as that way, but clearly the apple does not fall far. Oh, well, I mean, she's one of the toughest women I've ever, ever met. It sounds like it. Yeah, she it's it's unreal. I mean, she's been battling some medical issues for the past couple of years, and she just keeps fighting and keeps, you know, showing up. And I think it's so not only inspirational, but like, if my mom can do it, like, okay, you have nothing to complain about. Not that everything is not relative, but we can get through this. And so, yeah, my mom's just always been a tough cookie. She's always gotten it done. She's always figured it out. And having five kids, there's like, there's no time. There's no time to like sort of sit in and in, in wallow. And like, not that we don't deserve that, but like she never did that. And I think sometimes to her detriment, you know, there's, there's good and bad if we have to label anything that we get to learn from our parents. 
and or their unresolved issues. And, you know, our parents always want us to do better and be better than they were. And so I think my mom wholeheartedly has always felt that way. So it wasn't easy, but I also was like, oh, this is what it is. So what do you do aside from like, figure it out? Mm-hmm. And I did. I definitely figured it out. I grew up with music. My parents loved it and they always would entertain. Like when my dad was in the Navy, we would always have parties and music was always sort of like the focal point of whatever it is that we're doing. If you're camping, having parties. And I think, as you know, music is so not only cathartic, but like it's that comfort place or it's the happy place or the place that you can't wait to cry. Um, You know, all of all of the things. And I think that's really when music became like important for me just as uh, you know, a little girl, but if my friends weren't around and we didn't get to hang out after school and I was home by myself, it would be music and or some, some TV, you know, right. some, an escape. Yeah. It's a release. Exactly. Right. So that's really kind of where I think it all budded from. I love how you describe this one woman in a funny brown hat. Your little sister was like, there's a casting call at the Holiday Inn or yes. whatever. Yes. And you're oh, like, okay, man. whatever, I'll drive you and support you. And then there's this woman who's like a fairy godmother sitting there yeah, who just recognizes you from having taught you while you were in high school. And you're like, I don't know who you are, crazy lady. I did lady, not but. recognize that woman. I She did not teach at my high school. I was like, there is no way. <laughs> I wasn't even in the theater department because I was too afraid of my own shadow. And when she said, you know, I think that you're here for a reason, like I knew what she meant. I knew that I felt it, but I was so afraid of what the hell that could mean. I was like, uh-uh, she, uh-uh, no, thank you, mm-hmm, no. <laughs> and then, sure enough, you know, my sister comes out of the actual audition room, and my soon-to-be manager says, what are you doing here? Who are you? And I'm like, oh, I'm just her sister. And she said, oh, you don't sing or act or anything? And I was like, uh-uh. Mm-mm. And my sister's like, yes, you do. <sighs> And there's just no way, like I, when I tell you, like just afraid of my own shadow, when it came to something that I cared about so much as music, I was like, uh, uh-uh, uh, no. But luckily, I had enough courage to to muster up some sort of sound that came out <laughs> of my mouth. And she said, "Well, why are you here in Gainesville?" And I was like, "Cause I'm teaching preschool, and this is where I live. Like, what are you saying?" And sure enough, we ended up uh, working together. I went down to Orlando every weekend. And we prepped for like a big showcase uh, that was going to happen in LA. It was like, oh my gosh. I mean, I did not even drive on the interstate at that point. So every time we go down to Orlando, I was like white knuckled. Like I'm not, I can't drive. I can't drive. I was 20 years old and I was just afraid of everything. And, you know, she's always like, put your big girl panties on. I'm like, if she says it one more time, but I'm grateful. I'm grateful that she was that way. But yeah, so we came out, did a showcase and then, Some of us found agents and some of us came out for pilot season and it was great and wonderful until I had one audition in four months and all the other kids were going on auditions four or five times a day. And that's when my agent said to my manager, Hey, do you know anybody who wants to be my assistant? Yeah. Be her assistant. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. And she's like, you're going to figure it out. And so I figured it out, but it was hard because then I thought, what if she gets to know me and then she doesn't want to represent me? And then I came all the way out here and la 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 la. So the what ifs just start 
flowing. Oh, yeah. And also, I, that's not what I wanted to do. You know, I wanted to be an actor and I didn't want to represent them. Devon Franklin, who produced this movie Breakthrough that I was in, um, he said, you have to learn how to carry a crown before you can wear one. And that has always stuck with me. I'm like, oh, yeah, I was being of service. I was doing all these things. I mean, aren't we in music? Isn't that really being of service? I mean, we're being of service to ourselves and trying to satisfy our own dreams. And of course, it's something we enjoy doing. But at the end of the day, we're here to entertain people and help them escape. So the fact that you were able to, again, identify the lesson in you kind of having this job where you're supervising other actors who are getting more calls or roles that, you know, are more appealing than the offers that you were getting at the time. You ingratiate yourself to what was available to you. And then you kind of became a boss at it and became self-sufficient and your own agent so that when these jobs did start rolling in, you knew exactly what you deserved and how to navigate that. Still learning. We're all works in progress. Oh gosh, isn't that the truth? That's all I say. But I, you know, had maybe five, six, 10 auditions in like over a few years. Mm -hmm. You know, there's some people who have 10 auditions in a week and I was like, oh, you know, maybe this acting thing, like, am I delusional? Maybe this is not for me and I'm being, it's all in vain and it's my ego and I, I forget it. And sure enough, um, I had booked a couple roles, but nothing to sustain me financially or emotionally. <laughs> I'm like, oh, Lord, what am I doing? And then my friend who I worked with previously at another agency said, hey, there's this role. Dan Fogelman has a pilot. And I was like, oh, okay. First of all, I've never tested for a pilot. I've never, I mean, the biggest role I had was American Horror Story. Which was a huge role with yeah. Jessica Lang. No yeah, big deal. Yeah, like... awesome. Kathy Bates and Ugh, um, these Angela are Bassett. Yeah, I mean. Powerhouse women. Yeah, I mean, it was amazing. It was amazing. Where is your fear level at this point when you're in American Horror Story and you're surrounded oh. by these Oscar winning leading ladies? Oh, I was like, I don't belong here. What am I but doing you're not here? the 20-year-old who's driving across country, that's for sure. The fact no. that you're in those yeah. rooms on that set. Definitely. I definitely wasn't the 20-year-old, but I was, you know, the 34-year-old who was like, <laughs> I don't have experience. Shit. I don't have Jessica Lange's resume or Kathy Bates's, you know, talent. I'm like, oh, my God. And then I thought, you know what, Chrissy, you got hired because you brought something that they needed. And that's enough. So as I sit across the table in this one scene from Jessica Lange, I'm like, it's not personal. It's not personal. It's not. Like that is the mantra that I have just continued to use because, you know, I don't know where she's at mentally and what she needs to do to prepare. And she is leading this series. Mm-hmm. I, I, don't need, I don't need to bother her. She got her own things to worry about. And so I just kept re- like reminding myself that nothing is personal. You suit up, you show up. You stay prepared and that's that. But it was it was tricky. And I, I think that it really prepared me for the role of This Is Us. And just like auditioning people and interviewing people, all of that was like media training for when I had this role on the show and had to just sort of like be blasted into this career that I always dreamt of, but never thought I was right. going to have. All right. So then you get the call for Dan Fogelman's pilot. Yeah. And I go on the audition and it definitely felt different. I've been on auditions that I'm like, why am I going here? I don't need, I don't belong here. But this one felt like, 
huh. Like I went to, I, I always say this, but like the birds were birdier and the sky was bluer. I don't know what it was necessarily, but of course they get into the audition room. It's fine. It's not anything miraculous. I'm like, oh, okay. We always say that we have the best auditions on the freeway, right? Or, <sighs> you know, once we're like relaxed and we're not stressing ourselves out. But luckily I got a call back. I went through the through that and then I got to test for the role. And when you test, there's like five different people that could play a particular role. So there's five Kevins, five Kates. They're trying to mix and match them. It's about a five, six hour day that they keep bringing people, you know, different uh, actors in to see, do they mix and match well? Is there chemistry, a chemistry read? And I just remember scanning the room, like, do I look like him? Could he be my brother? I don't know. I don't look like her. Oh no, she's really pretty. Oh no, she's funny. Oh, and just, I'm like, Chrissy, like <laughs> you either it's either yours and it's meant to be, it's in the stars and nobody can take it from you or it's not. And I remember this one woman, She's so amazing. I was like, oh yeah, she's going to get the role. This is her role. And she said, oh, you know, they're saving you to last because you're, you're it. And I was like, okay. Anyway. Yeah. Right. I'm like, she's trying to psych me out. She's trying to, <laughs> she's trying to sabotage me. And then I was like, you know what, Christine? And I always say this, you can only keep what you give away. And mm. so I thought, you know what? please make sure that everybody has a great audition and that whoever's intended for the role is going to get the role. And um, sure enough, um, it was between me and that girl. And they called back. They said, we're going to test you again. And uh, we need to see this and we need to see that. And can you change your hair color? And we're going to have somebody do your makeup. And I'm like, oh, okay. This sounds promising. Mm -hmm. I don't know. At that point, she and I <laughs> were in the same audition room and it was Justin Hartley who had already booked the role of Kevin. And so we're reading with him and I'm like, holy smokes. And I remember right before she goes in, she said, I'm going to be praying for you. And I was like, oh my gosh, like that is the kindest thing that somebody could say. But that's the energy that you put out there. So it's not Aww. surprising that people would reciprocate that well, to you. That's very nice. Thank you. I, I never thought of it that way. I just thought like, oh, wow. And so, you know, we go in and that was the second test. And then we are walking to the parking structure. And it was so bizarre because here she is, this great, beautiful, talented person. And I'm like, you know what? If it's hers, it's hers. And then Justin is just like, you know, sitting pretty because he's already got the job. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, well, uh, I guess you guys take care. It was so strange saying goodbye. And then that phone call that came in when I got into my car, I thought it was a bill collector. I was like, I'm not picking up the phone, honey. I, I can't. Like my car payment is a month late. I'm not picking up the call. 81 cents in your bank account, right? Yes, yes. Unbelievable. In my bank account. My friend was helping me. Like she had to give me money for the audition to go. And she was like, whatever you can pay for rent, that's what, you know, you can, you can do. And I'm so, so grateful for that. But Bless it was her. a phone call. I know, I know. I picked it up finally and was like, hello. And it was very like, because I'm in the parking structure. So the service is terrible. And I'm like, hello. Not the call you want to drop. No, <laughs> no, no, it's absolutely not. And all I heard was, it did. I'm like, Dan? And he's like, hey. And I'm like, Hi. And at this point, I don't even know where the heck I am in the parking structure. Like I'm reversing, but I'm going up the down, down the up. Like I'm a mess. And I was like, this is either the call of like, yes, or like, girlfriend, you really are going to move back to Florida and teach preschool again. Because mm -hmm. what the hell? 
Side note, the preschool lessons chapter was one of my favorites and made me cry. Go on. Oh, yay. Honestly, teaching preschool was the coolest. I mean, I, those kids are absolutely amazing. So he said, um, Hey, and I said, hi. And he's like, we just want to let you know that you're our girl. And I was like, what? Like, I wasn't even sure if I heard what he said and I computed it and I was like, "Uh uh-huh, what? So yeah, it was, um, it was insane. It was like, I didn't expect it, but I was, and then I didn't know what the heck it was going to mean for my life, of course. Right. Um, because then it's not just about a pilot. It's like, is a pilot going to get picked up? And then Mm -hmm. the pilot gets picked up. Um, is it going to do well? And if it's going to do well, like how long is it going to do well for? So, you know, there's, there's all these other factors, but yeah, that was literally the, the day of my life. I know you just got signed to universal last year. I got to go, um, to your brunch where we all celebrated that. so exciting that. to see you there. Thank you for coming. Um, you were giving a speech and you stopped in the middle of your speech to say hi to me. And I just was like, that's, you're, that was a very Chrissy move. You're like, I'm really, oh my God. Hi Maggie. And you I, like, <laughs> I know. <laughs> I felt I just, you made me feel very special that you said oh, hi like that. Well, you are. But it's such a big deal. Cause Cindy Mabe, I had a Mickey Guyton on the show. And she talks about what a rock star Cindy Mabe is. And she's an executive at Universal and one of the few female execs in Nashville. And the connection between your signing with Universal and This Is Us is very significant because you always loved music as a child, yet you dove headfirst into this extremely successful show. And you've gotten a Golden Globe and Emmy nomination for that show for acting. But music was your first love. Yeah. And in interviews, people would ask you like, do you want to make an album? And sometimes you would shrug it off. But then, you know, one day you just were like, wait a minute. Yeah. Yes, I do want to do that. Mm -hmm. And Cindy Mabe from Universal asked you like, do you really want to pursue a career in music? Would you entertain the idea of a record deal to which you said? Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. it was after Diane Warren wrote the song uh, for the breakthrough for, soundtrack that Mickey uh, that you has got to sing yes, at the Oscars, at the which Oscars. is insane. My stomach hurt for a whole week. I hey thought Gainesville, I, gonna... I see you. <laughs> hey Bill, hey three five two. So, um, and Mickey Guyton has a beautiful song "Hold On" on that soundtrack as well. But you know, I think to Cindy to have this idea of like. I'm standing with you as as a woman. I'm standing with you as a creative, as an artist. And I don't know. I just thought that was really special. And then afterward, I said, you know, Cindy, I've been coming back and forth to Nashville like for two years now writing music. And she said, what? I have no idea. And I said, yeah. I said, or, you know, a, a record deal or not, like I just wanted to make music. And whether mm-hmm. one person heard it or a hundred people heard it. And so by the grace of God, it, you know, she she offered and and... It's still think about it. I'm like, huh? What? You know, so. I think This Is Us was a catalyst for you to take that for yourself, right? Yeah, definitely. I was very comfortable with being vulnerable. Um, and I realized, oh, you know, while Kate was pursuing music, I was sort of reignited with the idea of maybe I could do it and that I really, really desperately wanted to. Mm-hmm. And then also be comfortable with like sharing my heart as Chrissy and not behind the words of a writer as Kate. So describe the differences between 
being a singer from Kate's perspective and from your own? Oh, well, you know, Kate's typically doing some, you know, singograms or whatever they're called, telegrams, whatever they're called, singing telegrams, whatever. Um, or like, <laughs> that's you fine. Know, yeah, you know what I mean? Um, <laughs> I'm such a perfectionist, like, for what? Who cares? Um, you know, it's hard because she's like, walking in her mother's footsteps and she's never going to measure up to her mom. And then her mom wanted to have a career and her mom put it aside for her children. And I thought, oh my gosh, like I love children and I have a big family, but the one song I don't want to sing is shoulda, coulda, woulda. Mm-hmm. And so this is why I love the artists I do because they bear their souls and they're not afraid to, to show every single color and layer of themselves. And I thought, oh, that's what it's going to take. That's what I need to do. And, you know, baby steps to the bus, you put the one foot in front of the other. And so it's an evolution though. It's that's what's so interesting is you get to figure out not only who you are as a human, as a woman, as an artist, but a singer and a performer. So it's, it's fascinating. And then having written some great songs and about to head on a tour and then the lockdown comes I remember being sad for a day and I was like, Chrissy, you can be sad for a day, but there are a lot of other people who are struggling with bigger, bigger, much bigger issues. And when it's right, it'll happen. Right. And maybe it wasn't the right time or, you know, just trying to sort of find the silver linings. But again, work in progress. What's the album going to look like to you? Well, for me, it's really about the past, you know, 15 years of you know, the love and loss and also the lessons that I've learned. Mm-hmm. And speaking about hurt people, hurt people, we wrote a song called Broken Hearts Break Things. And that's really about mm-hmm. triggering that tumultuous relationship right. that we had. And I never believe that people want to actually hurt someone. I just think that they don't know what to do. And so... It's a defense mechanism. Yeah, sometimes. absolutely. So from from those sentiments to the song Feel Good, meaning... You know, I, I'm just so tired of living in in this sort of shadow of like, oh, well, no, I don't deserve it. And no, everybody comes before me. And I'm like, no, like, how can I be preaching to everybody else that they mm-hmm. have put themselves first and I'm not doing it? So, right. um, you know, it's really just you know, life True. lessons. <laughs> right. right. True. It's so easy. It's so easy. <laughs> like, why aren't you doing this? And I'm like, I ain't doing this. So oh. um, it's really just about tons of lessons and emotions that I have yet to ever really express. You have so much to draw from with your story. And I think, is that what makes you love country music is that it really frames that kind of lyric? Yeah. Also it's that genre of, of country or, you know, the, the sub genres of country in that storytelling there, there isn't anything else like it, you know, whether you're hearing the, the verse and you're the, the turn at the chorus and you're like, oh my God, that was brilliant, you know, or clever or so witty or interesting. And I'm a sucker for sappy, sad love songs. And I love to cry. And you love to make people cry. I think. <laughs> <laughs> That's because I be crying. I don't try to. I just have to emote. Happy tears are good. Yes, happy. T- eventually cathartic That's tears. That, but- right. It's that release that we're talking yes. about. I think yeah. that that's a perfect fit for you and being someone who has the bravery to have your candor. And I feel that the music that you've already released, you're very interwoven in those things. And I watched the video for talking to God, which again, you like to make people cry. (laughs) And I caught an Easter egg that you put in there 
Oh. When they bury the little bumblebee. Yeah. And how you describe the bumblebee as being one of the most resilient yeah. creatures out there because yeah. they say aerodynamically, the bumblebee shouldn't be able to fly because yeah. its wings are like too small for its body. But you use that as sort of a theme in yeah. your life. Like I overcame all the expectations or I guess the lower expectations of yeah. what you could surpass. And I love how intentional you are with your music and these visuals. Mm -hmm. And this is going to be a good album. I'm excited. Thank you. I I'm hope so, so excited. I hope so. This year has offered me opportunities I didn't ask for <laughs> to write about. Yeah. How about you? Have you been creative or has it been a time to... And you've been so busy still with the rest of the world kind of stopped. Well, both. I mean, I've tried to do some Zoom writes. Those are tricky. They are so tricky. And because I'm still learning so much. I mean, I don't consider myself a songwriter yet. I mean, hopefully one day, but like, I definitely have great ideas and I think that I can lend, you know, my experience and, and my vulnerability, but it's such a craft. So, you know, I really defer to to the songwriters who have done this and who are so great, like yourself. I mean, you're I an wanna... author. You're an author. <laughs> it's not the same thing as writing a song, honey. <laughs> no, ma'am. No, ma'am. That's a whole other thing. But I just, I always like to write from a place that I'm feeling. Mm -hmm. The only way that I know that I could continue to sing the song or to be interested in it is if it, came from like a real place mm -hmm. or if I had some sort of attachment to it or if it's a fascinating story or, or whatnot. But it, I just try to always write from a real place. Well, I think people can read that. People know when you're feeding them some genuine stuff and mm -hmm. they can mm -hmm. also call bullshit. And I think- Oh yeah. I hate, I hate that when I see someone, I'm like, that ain't real. That ain't real. Yeah, right. Aww. I was talking to uh, Kaylee Shore and she was talking about a song that she wrote about death, which she's experienced firsthand. And mm. she's like, nothing pisses me off more than when I hear that contrived country song about the grandfather dying in the third verse that isn't even dead. And I'm like, right. why would you manufacture that pain? And right. you, know, you have so much to draw from and you're smart and funny. And I think your brand, I hate using that word, <laughs> yes. is authenticity. And wow. well, that will you. serve you well. And you got some shit to say, so... <laughs> Oh, girl. Yes, I, mean, I, got something, I got something to say, I guess. Yeah. Marty, is your ex-husband, who's still mm -hmm. your very close friend? Yeah. How does one have a close friend who's their ex-husband? You know, I think when you really love somebody, you never stop loving them. It might mm -hmm. not be romantic, but you care as a human being what's going on with them and how they are and how can you help. And, you know, when you share some really important time, whether it's, you grow with them or you grow apart. Like there's still that, that shared experience. And so, you know, we cried when we were like signing the divorce papers. Mm. It wasn't that we didn't love each other. It was just that we weren't right for one another. And we had so much growing to do. I got married when I was 28 and I just, yeah. I mean, I am still learning at 40 and I, I'm sure I will always be, you know, it was, it was that I care for him deeply and I want only good things for him. And, so after, you know, all of the dust settled, we were like, wow, there's so much good that came out of it. And mm. so we're always, you know, checking in and it's just about really caring about someone. If you truly cared about them, you don't stop. 
you know, right. they don't have to necessarily be in your life. And it's not like we hang out, you know, we just always stay in contact and there's this mutual respect and love for one another. One of the anecdotes that you share is that you both always ordered pizza with bell peppers on Girl. it. Girl. Until you figured out like way late in the game that neither of you actually liked it and you were right. just trying to do for the other what you thought they wanted. Right. And I feel like that's got to be a big kind of metaphor for oh, maybe sure. what we do when we're trying to distract ourselves from our ambitions with the relationship that we're in or mm-hmm. not doing for ourselves what we need to do and just no big deal. You don't like yeah. bell peppers, BFD, it's yeah. fine. But right. like, what was the deterrent to, to communicate with think, one another yeah, and what and, other things yeah. did that permeate into? Right. I'm like, if we're not talking about bell peppers, what else are we not talking about? Right. This is concerning. Like, yes. You know, but I think the red we, bell pepper flag. <laughs> right. Which is like, how many things then did we sort of stuff literally with our food, with feelings, you know, however it works um, that we didn't talk about whether we just didn't want to hurt one another or mm-hmm. we didn't really know what we were experiencing as individuals. But that's why the biggest lesson I learned was putting myself first. And it, I was never taught that. It was never cultivated. You know, my mom mm-hmm. never did that because she couldn't. And mm-hmm. you sort of see and learn by example. And not to any fault of her own. That's what she had to do. Because mm-hmm. that's what my grandmother had to do. You know, it's so I'm like, how do I change that? And there's nothing wrong with it. But we're not taught that. We're not like, you know, you're the most important person. And then that's how you become not only invaluable, but how you show up for yourself in relationships and work, platonic, romantic, whatever. So that's something that I had to learn. And, you know, some lessons are hard learned. Mm-hmm. <laughs> some some are hard learned, but I'm very, very grateful for that time. The Oprah anecdote, the chapter is called Use the Fancy Napkin (laughs) because she makes you cry and, first of all, invited you to lunch at her house, which is just like a surreal moment. You call your mother, which is what I totally do every time. Yeah. I had to stop doing that because I'm giving her all the highlights and lowlights and she's probably like, ooh, whiplash. (laughs) I should just call her when I'm, hey, mom, it's Tuesday. All right, love you. Bye. Hey, did you eat that? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I know. I know. Not like, I got signed. I got dropped. Yeah. I got in a car wreck. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. Being a mother is hard. Not Oh, I can't even imagine. I can't. You know, you're with your childhood hero. This is Mm -hmm. someone that you watched growing up and she kind of cuts right to the core of you in the beginning. And she knows that you're someone who's maybe not quite yet demanding for themselves what they deserve. Mm -hmm. I don't know how she figured it out. And you have to read the chapter to understand. And she asks you about like your relationship with your body. And you're like, I used to watch you on the couch. Everyone did growing up. And you had the ability to hold your own, but then you started crying and she had this hand embroidered napkin that you had around your iced tea and you just start blotting your mascara (laughs) and then you drive off. Like how does one even drive home from that kind of encounter without like crashing their car? I know. Right. Right. Well, I just thought like, okay, so this is a woman who has not only inspired us, encouraged us, taught us, you know, educated us about so many, many things, But also, 
I have to remember that she's a human being. Mm-hmm. And so that's what's so beautiful is like, she is confident with this humility that you're like, oh, oh, okay. Like you can be both. You can be both. And that while she does things perfectly imperfect, you know, that's what we're all doing. We're all just figuring it out. And so I had to remind myself like, okay, these are the lessons that she probably had experienced herself and that she is trying to sort of gift me and uh, gift to me. So it's crazy how perceptive she seemed to be like not having ever met you. (laughs) And you're like, you cut to the core of me backstory. I know. I know. Oprah. Yeah. Miss Winfrey. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It was, um, yeah, it was really wild. Have you gone over for uh, more lunches? I haven't gone over for lunches, but she did a couple of years ago. I went to the gospel brunch, which was amazing because, honey, that's all. I was like, please let me go to the gospel brunch, please. That is um, where you belong. Yeah, I was, it, was, it was amazing. It was so, I was like, we're about to have church. We're going to eat some delicious food. And mm-hmm. then we're going to hear some people sing their faces off. Yeah, that's. And we're going to have church. Yeah, I feel like you was... need to host the next one. <laughs> That's oh. also part of your brand. Yeah, right. I'm not shy about the higher power that I have a relationship with and my conscious contact with whom I call God. But, you know, I think there's such a stigma around like what you call the higher power. And I'm like, it could be the universe. It could be the wind. It could be the tide, you know, like it's just something greater and bigger than ourselves that is in control. Clearly, Absolutely. as we see evidently happening this year. Um, and every year and every day, but, uh, yeah, but I'm not, I'm not shy about it. How did this is us know that you were a singer? They didn't, we got the script and it was in italics, which means the person singing. And I said to Dan, like, uh, Kate's a singer. And he said, yeah, you didn't put a bug in someone's ear and say like, put a song in there. Never. I would never have the balls to do that. I'd like to have wish I would have had the balls to, but I never, and they didn't even know I was a singer. Because he said to me, if you don't feel comfortable singing, we'll just get somebody to dub it. And I was like, Mm -hmm. no, 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 I want to No way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh, that is magical. They never told me, but I I don't think that that was the case at all. Yeah, I mean, the magic of even hiring Mandy as Rebecca, who's, of course, had a major career in music. And now, you know, married to Taylor and Dawes, Mm -hmm. it's like all of this beautiful music sort of uh, to play her daughter into the role was made for you. I mean, it's just manifest destiny. I think that you imagine this. I believe, this in, I believe in manifesting for sure. Yes. Yeah. So, and I, I also agree that there is a higher power that is looking over you for sure. I mean, that's, that's kind of, of goosebump material. Yeah. And yeah. then now here you are about to make your own album. Yeah. That's so, so exciting. Yeah, it's been a wild, creative, amazing adventure. So I love you. Thank you so much for being on this podcast on Sleep the Songbird. And you deserve all our salutations. And I want to finish with, speaking of gratitude, what you appreciate about being a woman in the industry. Mm. Because I think that there are so many advantages, but... What is the advantage for Chrissy Metz? Well, I think being a woman in the industry is is challenging. And I think that when we have challenges, we get to sort of show how boldly we can rise to an occasion. 
And even with just having this role of This Is Us, like, I think it was, I don't want to say catalyst, but I do think that there was Dan having this idea of having a real plus size woman, not someone who's like a size six, Mm. not someone who was like, you know, any bigger than a size zero, but like a real woman handling and dealing with body issues and body um, weight issues that it allowed for other women to not only have even auditions, but opportunities of like every single woman's story needs to be told. It don't matter what you weigh, what you look like, how tall you are, where you came from, the stories need to be told. And then, you know, we see this, this massive movement of, of women just realizing their worth and their value. And that is really exciting to see that in every facet, whether you're behind the desk or behind the camera or on a stage, like Mm -hmm. I always like to remind people, I'm like, do you understand how powerful women are? We can do anything. We can make children. Like we, we make them humans, okay? And not to say that you're less than if you don't want to or you can't, not to say that, of course, but like there's nothing that we can't do. Right. And I see that time and time again. And it's really easy when you're, dare I say it, a white privileged male, but we do it with all the adversity and all the challenges and still rise to the occasion. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, and what? What can what? What? Now what? <laughs> what can't we do? And that to me is always... It's not surprising, but I'm always like, wow. I mean, there are so many incredible women just doing what the hell they want to do in any capacity. And that is, I don't know, it's so exciting to see that happen. It is so exciting. And I find inspiration every day in the women around me. Well, it's really fun to watch you take what's yours and what belongs to you. And I'm such a fan and... Can't wait to hear this album. Can't wait to see you in person. Yes. And just to to watch what you do. Yeah. It's going to be awesome. You're the best. You're the best. Take care. Be well. All right, Chrissy. Talk to you soon. That's a wrap. You can keep up with Chrissy on socials at Chrissy Metz. Do yourself a favor and pick up a copy of her book, This Is Me. You can catch new episodes of This Is Us every Tuesday on NBC and keep your eyes and ears peeled for her new upcoming album. You can keep up with me, my music, and my touring calendar on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at I Am Maggie Rose. And you can find me on Patreon at patreon.com slash I Am Maggie Rose, where you can get exclusive Salute the Songbird content along with new music, live stream concerts, and more. You've been listening to Salute the Songbird on Osiris Media. The executive producers are Kirsten Cluthy and Brad Stratton from Osiris Media and Austin Marshall. And the show is edited and mixed by Brad Stratton. Original music by Maggie Rose. Please subscribe to Salute the Songbird on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast content. And if you like the show, recommend it to a friend or leave us a review so that others can join the conversation. Thanks for listening. And to close out the show, here's Talking to God by Chrissy Metz. too heavy just checking me how's it going how's your mom then and for once he talked more than me said i hear a lot about you around here yeah i know it's been one of them years i get it man you do the best you can still wind up on your knees i was talking to god last night about what things happen the way they do yeah
do different I'm still looking 